relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Portions of the following program may contain pre-recorded material. He mentioned Bitcoin. You said you didn't know what we were talking about. Uh, we, we, we pretty much always have some crypto conversation with you. I'm just curious because I don't think we've I talked think, to you since. I think all that's been a waste of time. And why you guys waste any breath on us totally beyond me? Because you just think the whole thing just is, is going to zero? Going to zero and it's fake? Bitcoin itself is a, is a hyped up fraud. It's a pet rock. You're back to that? Yeah, really? Of course, yeah. A hyped up fraud, a pet rock. Who is that person? How dare he undermine a thing that so many people think is the future of finance? Oh, he's just uh, Jamie Dimon, former board member of the New York Fed and chairman of JP Morgan. I'm no economist, but I have a sneaking suspicion he may be right. Let's talk to somebody who actually knows of what he speaks when it comes to cryptos blockchains, Bitcoin, an individual who I just heard recently on my buddies, the Trigonometry podcast. We're delighted to have him on the show. I'm going to read his title because it's a very impressive one. He's Michael Green, Chief Strategist and Portfolio Manager for Simplify Asset Management. Michael, welcome to America First. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Sebastian. Now, um, I'm no economist. Um, I do know the difference between the, uh, the Austrian school and the Keynesian school. I do agree it is the dismal science, as one very famous economist said to me. Uh, economics is the science of proving that water flows downhill. Uh, if you've got a good a sense of common sense, then you don't need much else. Uh, I was delighted to hear your interview with my buddies, uh, Francis Foster and Konstantin Kissin, because uh, you, you gave us a, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of what is problematic with Bitcoin, why FTX happened, what the relevance of uh, blockchain as a technology is. And it was a cold shower, I'm sure, for many people who heard it, who were exuberant over this new technology. Um, several times in that interview, Michael, the, the, uh, the phrase Ponzi scheme came up. So will you help us understand this sentence, for example? that uh, the whole phenomena requires constant inflows of fiat currency until a utility emerges. Until then, it's a Ponzi scheme. Why should we be cautious with Bitcoin and with all of these forms of new transaction? Well, there's unique challenges associated with each of them. And I just want to emphasize that at the core of the observation around crypto or Bitcoin is actually a fundamental truth, which is... We currently exist in a world that's still dominated by what's called the analog, right? The non-digital tools of finance. Stock certificates are delivered in paper form. The paper dollars that you have in your wallet have security measures associated with them in the form of digits that are similar to the hashtags that would be associated with a Bitcoin security system, etc. So we are in this process of moving to a digital currency-based system, a more natively digital system. The problem is, is that the, the underlying theory and philosophy behind Bitcoin has effectively built um, a false 
uh, story or a false narrative around what it actually is and can it become money without the support of the state. So in this, the simplest form, when you think about Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the accounting tokens that are distributed. Bitcoin itself is the accounting tokens that are distributed to miners for doing the security work, effectively the auditing of the Bitcoin system, right? It's no different than a corporation paying its accountants. The difference is it's being paid in that native token. Right. So let's break this down. Bitcoin is just the way you pay these people who have to run these big servers that are using blockchain to create the next blockchain to verify a series of transactions. And the the jump of logic or the leap of faith is that the so-called currency you're using to pay these people to do the backroom data crunching for these transactions in and of itself becomes the sexy thing. And people outside the system say, oh my gosh, I can get rich quick. This is like a lottery ticket and there's no, you know, it is a, a sure win. As I listened to, you know, what I was hearing, it was like almost a cult-like phenomena. It felt like a cult being run by Britney Spears. The, the cool kids, the millennials think it's a get rich quick thing, but, but, but there's actually the utility of the whole system. Let, let's focus down on one thing. The, the, the blockchain technology you said in that interview is much slower and not as useful as people are. People are saying it's going to change everything now. And that's not exactly the case, is it, Michael? It's, it's not exactly the case. And so just very quickly to understand what blockchain's key innovation was is, again, using the accounting analogy, right? When a corporation or you hire your tax accountant, basically only two people are there to verify the records, right? You and your accountant. Your bank may play a role. Your doctor may play a role in certain records, et cetera, right? But there isn't the ability for me to verify what everybody else is seeing at the same time. I don't have direct access to the accounts of Coca-Cola or JP Morgan or anyone else for that matter, right? What blockchain's innovation is, is, is that it's distributed those databases broadly. That allows lots of people to check and verify and see what's going on. But the process of distributing it broadly also slows the system down. Now, there's all sorts of workarounds that are being introduced, things like the Lightning Network, which are effectively tools that are being built to um, reduce the actual processing that's happening on the blockchain side. But really what you're seeing with Bitcoin and the reason that you hear so much about it is because if I'm going to pay my accountants in a token, let's just call them Mike Bucks, right? If I'm going to pay my accountants in that token, I have to be able to convince my accountants that that token is valuable to get them to continue doing the work. It's very natural for me to go out and promote MikeCoin and say to people, boy, you should really get some of this MikeCoin because it's the future of finance. Right. By introducing the secondary purchasers, I create the value, right? I mean, this was explicitly laid out in a fantastic interview uh, by Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX with Matt Levine and Joe Weisenthal of Bloomberg, in which you know he introduced the entire idea, let's pretend there's a box and we're going to put stuff in the box and we're going to call that box having valuable, right? That's why it is a cult. It is actually so a belief system that me. says this is... So you agree with me? You agree with me? It's is, a cult. Oh, of course. Of course it, it has to be, right? Now, the pushback, of course, is 
is the U.S. dollar a cult? Right? <laughs> well, we'll get what? we'll get to that. We'll get to that yeah. and, and gold and the gold standard and fiat yep. currency in a second. But but can can you just because I hear this all the time? I had colleagues in the National Security Council when I was in the White House, especially in the Cyber Division, who were like ecstatic about blockchain. They said this is the future of everything, not just finance, but national security, uh, keeping our code secret, and everything else. Why does why, why should I trust this system? You say it makes it all the more trustworthy because there's lots of people verifying the system. But, but can't a large system of different data centers and different miners also be crippled by a virus? Or can't it be hacked? Or can't you have a, a multi-level Ponzi scheme? Why, why does lots of people with servers in their basement, why should I trust them any more than I trust anybody else, Michael? This is the thing where, where I, I kind of see, okay, the trust thing, but why? Well, so that's actually a great question. And it's what your design, what the system is designed to deal with, right? So in today's world, you put up Jamie Dunn, for example, most individual Americans would say, I don't really trust Jamie Dimon, right? His interests are not aligned with mine. Um, that can put me in a situation in which I seek some other mechanism for trust, right? And so a broadly distributed database in which everybody has access to the underlying information and theoretically nobody could be lying, right? That sounds like a wonderful innovation, and in some ways it is. That's what you were hearing from your national security buddies, et cetera, who were turning around and saying, wow, this is actually really impressive. I can put this in a distributed database. And unless there's consensus around what's embedded here, we're not going to append the database. We're not going to add the next entry, right? Effectively, it is a trust and verify type but, dynamic. But who does that? What's the mechanism <clears throat> of, of verification? Does, is there a vote amongst millions of people who are miners? What is the mechanism for appending that next, you know, agreement of that transaction? So the, the, the underlying mechanism that is deployed is this mining process, right? This accounting process. And if I am the first to arrive at what is effectively a random mathematical solution, right? It's what's called elliptical math. I'm solving for effectively a curve, a very complex curve. Totally irrelevant what I'm actually doing. I could be solving for triangles or anything else. I'm just highlighting that's the actual math. Once I win that, then I win the right to make the next entry into the database, Right. That's what the miner is effectively doing. Again, the accountant is is proving their worth through the work that they've done in this. So process. hang on a second. So so you 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 solve a mathematical problem and that's your credentialing for being the quote unquote accountant? It it, it is, which if you actually think about it is really not that alien to the whole idea of accounting itself, right? Did I make the books balance? Right, right, but but account. I could be a bad faith actor who's just good at solving math problems. Absolutely correct. And so the question <laughs> is, the question is, how much am I willing to invest behind that? And that's the critical insight behind big Bitcoin, etc. Is if I'm willing to put a lot of resources into the system, then I begin to dominate it. We're talking to Michael Green. You can go to his website, simplify.us. His Substack is michaelwgreen.substack.com. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First One-on-One. We'll be back one-on-one with Mike Green after these messages.
Welcome back to America First with me, Sebastian Gorka, and Michael Green. You have been able to pull this thing off without your mathematics degree, or it has been the pillar of your trading activity? Uh, yeah, absolutely could pull it off without my math degree. <laughs> Use very little math. When you start out as like an intern and you, you know, do something and accidentally lose, you know, maybe a thousand dollars for your desk, you're like, oh God, like everyone's going to hate me now. Like this is terrible. <laughs> and uh, yeah, over time you have to uh, sort of, yeah, get comfortable with larger and larger uh, swings of money. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example of a trade where I've lost a ton of money um well i don't know i probably don't want to go into specifics too much yeah, with that yeah i wouldn't either because they may be used against you in a court of law that is bankman freed's girlfriend caroline ellison saying math who needs math you just need to con people into a great ponzi scheme of course that's ftx uh, uh michael you said something else on your interview with our buddies at trigonometry uh, you said of course bitcoin is you know an accounting system and you're paying the miners to build the next part of the blockchain however the problem came when it turned into a speculation on the tokens made to pay the miners explain how that played into FTX and what you think the consequences of this massive collapse are is this going to be a blip on the radar is bit bit uh, is bitcoin and blockchain the future how significant is this one story I think this one story is indicative of the broader concerns in the space it's clearly caught the most attention and it clearly has um had the biggest impact on the system at this point. It also perversely, though, has created conditions under which it's very difficult for people to obtain and sell Bitcoin right now, which is in turn contributing to a rally that we're seeing in Bitcoin. And that's really going back to the speculation component and the, the real understanding of what's going on here. If you're going to pay your accountants or anyone else, you have to try to create the perception of value in the token so that they in turn can sell it to pay their bills, whether those that's the electricity bill to run the mining operations, whether that's employee salaries, et cetera. Ultimately, individuals need to get back into what's referred to as the fiat currency, either the dollar, the euro, the yen, so that they can live their daily lives, right? Now, if you can create the perception that this token has value and that it should be hodled or held as a speculative instrument for appreciation, that means that the demand is likely to exceed the supply of the Bitcoin and therefore the price goes up. That gives the perception that something wonderful and magical is happening here, that we're watching de novo currency being created. And, and is, this, is it fair to say this is a, like a fiat, car, car, uh, fiat currency on steroids, or does the base utility for the miners mean that it's not a fiat currency? It is absolutely not a fiat currency. A fiat currency, by definition, requires a mechanism of enforcement and settlement by a government. The reason that, and this sounds, this is going to frustrate the hell out of your audience, but the reason you need dollars at the end of the day is to pay taxes. Right. 
Right. No, you, you, made, you made this point that because we live in a Westphalian system where right. there is a monopoly of violence, the state you can put you in prison, you, know, you have to pay taxes, only they have the police force and the military. You made this fascinating point that money, all the money out there, whether it's the dollar, the pound, is actually a way for settling debt. That's why it exists. And it's a way for tax systems to function. Isn't this the big problem that you said it repeatedly? Bitcoin is great for money launderers and those who are suffering in dictatorial systems who want to have an end run around a corrupt banking system running that authoritarian regime. Well, what about non-authoritarian regimes that don't want you to be able to do an end run around the tax system? Does this mean that there is eventually a death sentence that has to be executed against these currencies because they don't fit into the Westphalian system of taxation and monopoly of force? Unfortunately, I think that's correct, right? And when you say Westphalian, you're just referring to the modern state, right? The nation so state. Yeah. The nation state, right. correct? So I just want to make sure people understand that. It is very frustrating to recognize that government is integral to our system of life, right? And taxes are just like death, one of the two unavoidable things that we have. You know, that's very frustrating. And in this situation like we have today in the United States, where the system is not perceived as working for many, many members of society, particularly the young, who are not seeing the benefit of taxes, who are increasingly burdened with the opportunities that those who came before them had available to them. So, for example, explosive costs for college education, et cetera. It's very gratifying or it's very understandable that they're searching for a way out or to change the system in their favor, right? But it's a distraction and it's ultimately... So, so this, hang on, this harmful. is really interesting. So the popularity of this mm, quasi-currency you think is in part a function of the dispossessed and the millennials who say this whole system has no room for me and I want to be part of a system that will reward me because I understand it? Is that part and parcel of the trendiness of, of all of these Bitcoin variations? Absolutely. It's, uh, there's almost no question in my mind. That's one of the reasons why I raise my voice to say I understand the motivation behind the system. I understand the frustration with the existing system. But unfortunately, this is a distraction and a dead end, and it's ultimately just going to make things worse. And then what is the eventual corrective? Is it going to be five years from now, all the 200 nations of the world say, you know, we outlaw this and we're replacing it with our own central bank digital currencies? What's, what's the obvious end state scenario? So I think that's ultimately going to end up being the, the dynamic that it will be banned across the majority of, as you point out, Westphalian or modern nation states. People will argue that it can, t can continue. And a lot of my early discussions around Bitcoin, if you Google on the Internet, was focused on this idea of can it be stopped, right? Um, this, the, again, that accounting system, the money that is being spent is effectively the defense mechanism of the system. It's the security budget. And in nation state terms, it's tiny, right? We're talking a couple of billion dollars a year at this point. Yeah. Um, this is not a system that is secure. And the bigger issue that you have with Bitcoin is that it inherently lends itself to consolidation. Because there is a finite quantity, an absolutely fixed quantity of Bitcoin, 
of the 21 million that are ever supposed to be released, something like 19 million have already been released. And I would be willing to bet that the vast majority of your audience has never experienced the transaction in Bitcoin, right. you know, held a Bitcoin on a, on a flash drive, carried out a transaction in Bitcoin. And the reason I know that is because the sum total of transactions that are actually happening on the Bitcoin network are somewhere around $400 million a month, right? This is less than $5 billion out of a give or take $80 trillion global economy, right? It's tiny, 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 but it's occupying huge mindshare because it appeals to people who are left out of the system in the same way that the lottery doesn't play a significant role in people's income stream but boy, does it capture a lot of attention on the New York on the, on the nightly news when the well, when, some, when somebody dollars. wins, yeah, you know, half a billion right. dollars exactly. We're talking to Michael Green. He's on Twitter, Prof Plum ninety nine. Yes, he's Professor Plum, the ninety ninth version. Uh, Simplified.us is the website. MichaelWGreen.substack.com. I'm Sebastian Gorka. More on the truth about Bitcoin with our special one on one guest, Michael Green, here on America First. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented the MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread, the MyPillow 2.0 is the softest and coolest pillow you'll ever own for my exclusive listeners that my pillow 2.0 has a buy one get one free offer with promo code gorka my pillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100 made in the usa and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee just go to mypillow.com click on the radio list of square for the buy one get one free offer enter promo code gorka or call 800-829-8468 that's code g-o-r-k-a goat today. You're listening to America First with me, Sebastian Gorka, and Chief Strategist and Portfolio Manager for Simplify Asset Management, Michael Green. If you enjoy the show, please support those who make it possible. Great patriots like Mike Lindell. Let's have his back right now. He sold 71 million of the original MyPillow. 71 million. Now he's just launched the 2.0. You've got some amazing uh, BOGO deals right now. Use my name for up to 66% off the rest of his 150 different products on his website. Support a great American, a great American business, and get a good night's sleep. Treat yourself. The sheepskin slippers, the sheepskin line slippers are just superb. Go to MyPillow.com, promo code Gorka, or call 800-829-8468. That's 800-829-8468. Or just go to mypillow.com promo code g-o-r-k-a all right um i'm just going to keep on going through this list of questions i have based upon the interview you you did the superb interview you did did with my uh, buddies constantine and francis on trigonometry so you said something right at the beginning that kind of blew my mind i'm not an economist i repeat you said markets are not run on information which is like, uh, people say it's information. I've got the inside scoop. You know, I've got the sign up for my newsletter. I'll give you the market scoop. Others say, economists say it's, it's about incentives. I, I like that a lot. You said markets are defined by transactions. 
especially yeah. by the big players like BlackRock and Vanguard. Will you explain how that works? Sure. So when we see the history of prices in a market or when we see the stock react to earnings reports, for example, we're not actually seeing the information itself. We're seeing people transact around that information. Ultimately, every transaction requires a buyer and seller. And so the question is, who are those and why are they transacting? Right. It's this is one of the things that is so interesting about what's happening in our financial markets is increasingly the source of those transactions, the source of buying activity that we're seeing, is simply a function of your paycheck or my paycheck flowing into a 401k, flowing into an automatic reinvestment program, typically something like a target date fund. And those target date funds, in turn, allocating capital directly into the market with no consideration for value or information, whether it's a good business, a bad business, et cetera, the last transaction price is presumed to be a good price. That's the price you should transact at. And as a result, markets are moving further and further away from information content and simply represent a series of transactions that are increasingly separated from that. But isn't that Bitcoin, exactly how we got into the real estate crash? That, we, well, that, that we, we, had, we had these assets bundled in their billions yep. and they were utterly disconnected from the actual economic reality of whether these people could repay the mortgages. Isn't that what happened in 2008? I'm, I'm, uh, is it, it, it was actually slightly worse than that. The, the demand for the financial assets, the need to put money to work actually encouraged people to create synthetic instruments that in turn were derivatives of derivatives, right? right what was right. called the CDO squared. Um, we're seeing that across all sorts of mechanisms because the simple reality is we need to invest for retirements and we're facing retirements across the baby boom generation and the Gen X generation beyond that where we simply have no real mechanism for ensuring a very long retirement that was implausible to those who came before us. But it sounds right. to me as if there's a system that should be reacting to information but it's not reacting to information. It's reacting to a very select parcel of information, which is the actions of the biggest investors that are actually being triggered in a certain automaticity and, and aren't reflexive of the market itself. It, it, that sounds incredibly dangerous, Michael. I, I think it is. I think this is actually the unknown the, – the, the, big secret, quote unquote, to markets that is currently unknown by the vast majority of participants is that the number of, quote unquote, thoughtful, active, discretionary participants who would do the sort of evaluation on an individual security, either a stock or a bond, saying, do I think that this is an attractive instrument for me to invest in? They're very rapidly being replaced by exactly as you describe it, automatons that put money to work simply because you have a paycheck. Wow. When, when, <laughs> when the guy whose financial advice I relied upon a year ago told me it's going to get much, much worse before it gets better, I, I said, 
I need to find somebody else who uh, agrees with you. I think I just did. He's Michael Green. He's a chief strategist and portfolio manager for Simplify Asset Management. The website is www.simplify.us. His Twitter profile is at Prof Plum, like Professor Plum, at Prof Plum 99. And also check out his Substack, michaelwgreen.substack.com. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First one-on-one coming to you from just outside the insalubrious, fetid, rank, malodorous, noisome swamp that is Washington, D.C. From the ReliefFactor.com studios. Relief Factor, pain relief that works, pain relief that's real, pain relief that is liberating half a million Americans across the nation, me included. Yes, but it's not just me. It's people like Reggie from Florida. This is Reggie's story. I have a lot of pain from aging, and after only four days of using Relief Factor, I am already experiencing less pain and stiffness. Can't wait to see how I feel in a couple more weeks. Relief Factor is a blessing sent by God. Incredible words. Find out for yourself. There's only one way, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee, by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you. Like it works for me, Reggie, and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. You've waited long enough. You deserve to know. Don't delay another moment. What have you got to lose? I mean, apart from the pain, nothing. Am I right? Call today, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That's 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. Don't go anywhere. More one-on-one with Michael Green after these messages. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. Welcome back to America First One-on-One with me, Sebastian Gorka, and Michael Green. So we had markets, but now the markets are being driven by the necessity of these behemoths like BlackRock and Vanguard to fund the pensions of those who put their money into these funds. And then you said something in that interview that I keep referencing. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, Constantine, by the way. You referenced the, the impending liquidity crisis if retirement pension conglomerates fail, if we don't manage to fund the pensions of all these people who are much larger in cohort size than the system expected. And you said, thus we 
lies authoritarianism or the danger of authoritarianism when these systems collapse. I, I saw this in, in Central and Eastern Europe, given my family background. So let, let's, let's unpack this, if you would, please. So explain the liquidity crisis as it relates to the pension funds that all of the developed Western nations have said they're going to cover. So a couple of quick things that I want to hit on. Um, one is when you say pension funds, typically a pension fund is different than uh, a, a traditional stock portfolio like a 401k or an IRA because there is ultimately somebody responsible for it, whether it's right. the state of California or the U.S. federal government in the case of uh, veterans um, or uh, government employees or a corporation that is traditionally offered a defined benefit plan. Right. By and large, we dispensed with all of that. Now the vast majority of Americans save on their own through product, products like 401ks or IRAs where ultimately they are responsible for their own pension, right? Now the way that we do that is by tapping into public markets. We buy the stock index, we buy a bond index, we accumulate them, we accumulate resources over time through savings that we expect to be able to sell at some point in the future to create um, income that we can in turn, or cash flow to be more accurate, that in turn we can spend on things that we need in our very long and extended retirements that we've never had before, right? These products, the 401ks and IRAs, can be thought of as effectively giant sovereign wealth funds that are used in other countries to provide similar resources to their employee, to their uh, citizens, right. right, to their populations. In our case, we put it on the individual because, by and large, we chose to shed that responsibility. Now that uh, you mean, creates, you mean as, as a nation, as a nation, right. both as a nation, right, and as employers, et cetera, right. The 1970s were all about employers shedding the obligation associated with defined benefit plans, creating the opportunity to lay people off, improve the efficiency of our economic system, et cetera. The problem is, is that we've used those systems, those market systems to try to deliver something in quote unquote guaranteed form or nearly guaranteed form that we simply can't do. Right. We just that's not what they're for. Markets. We, are not we, we, we tried to provide the surety of the government pension with a private instrument and it's it's failing. Correct. It, it, it will almost certainly fail because at some point there will be an excess of sellers relative to buyers. And again, this goes back to what markets actually represent. If there are an excess of sellers versus buyers, then prices go down. If I think about something like a passive index fund, the price going down doesn't result in any change. It simply says, if, if the rules of my index, right, and this is the construction of all index funds, if you give me cash, then buy. If you ask for cash, then sell. Yeah. So the mechanical liquidation into lower and lower prices actually has the perverse dynamic of as you're saving, you're paying higher prices for the stuff that you're saving. And when you go to sell, you can see the markets crash. That creates conditions under which everybody ends up much poorer than they currently believe. The economy is, you know, obviously suffers under those conditions. That's the fear that I have, right? And you saw this in um, uh, Eastern Europe, as an example. You've seen this in basically every democracy that has failed, whether it's Russia, where the pension system failed, or even going back to Rome, where the pension system for soldiers, the land banks that were granted to soldiers, when that property turned out to be largely worthless because of corruption, 
you saw the democracy of the Republic of Rome fall, right? This is the path that we're heading down when we try to actually liquidate these resources. The question is, what is the price we're going to get for it? Bitcoin just gave us a perfect example of what happens when more people try to sell than buy. 2022, similar story in broader markets. So you're, you're faced with this condition of liquidity that people just don't think about when they think about markets representing information. They think about it being earnings, how's the economy doing, et cetera, as if it's predicting that it's not. It's just the balance of transactions. So given what you know and what you manage and what you advise, what level of scenario are we talking about? Are we talking about you know, a stock market collapse that basically affects all the nations where these kinds of funds exist? Or is it just going to be America that has peculiarly divested all of this liability onto the individual and therefore a 1K? What is the likely scenario that you see? So unfortunately, America is further down this path than anywhere else. We have more passive in our markets than any other country. Um, there's a paper, an academic paper that came out in 2022 uh, called Double What You Think that actually looks at the prevalence of passive investing in the United States and comes to the conclusion that it's about two times what people had thought. It's rapidly approaching 50% of the market. Wow. My simulations suggest that once you cross 50%, because remember what's happening with a passive vehicle. If it's given the instruction to buy, it'll buy at any price. We saw this in the nonsense with the meme stocks in 2021, where the price of a stock can explode five, six, seven hundred, ten thousand percent almost overnight with no real change to the fundamentals, simply because it experiences what's called inelasticity. People who hold it are unwilling to sell. Those who are forced to buy back into a short squeeze have to buy. And meanwhile, an entity like Vanguard or BlackRock basically is sitting there saying, I don't see anything happening, right? Because no actual information matters to them, right? And, and perversely, the way the system actually works is if the price goes up, they buy more of that with the next incremental dollar. The website is www.simplify.us. Uh, Twitter profile is profplum99. And the substack is Michael W. Green. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios. It's Relief Factor, pain relief that works, pain relief that's real, pain relief that is liberating half a million Americans across the nation, me included. Yes, but it's not just me. It's people like Reggie from Florida. This is Reggie's story. I have a lot of pain from aging, and after only four days of using Relief Factor, I am already experiencing less pain and stiffness. Can't wait to see how I feel in a couple more weeks. Relief Factor is a blessing sent by God. Incredible words. Find out for yourself. There's only one way, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee, by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you. Like it works for me, Reggie, and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. You've waited long enough. You deserve to know. Don't delay another moment. What have you got to lose? I mean, apart from the pain, nothing. Am I right? Call today, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That's 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. More on the truth about Bitcoin with our special one-on-one guest, Michael Green, here on America First.
Welcome back to America First One-on-One with me, Sebastian Gorka, and Michael Green. So I, I didn't ask you at the beginning. I don't know. I, you know, I hate putting people into boxes, whether you follow a specific school of uh, economic theory. But you were very explicit that we have arrived at this untenable situation because of certain things that we decided to do as a nation in the 70s and 80s. In order to prevent uh, the next apocalypse, what should we be returning to when, when, when we think about preparing for the future? Should we be back at a, a government-insured pension system, as in the UK? Or, or is there some hybrid version? How do we prevent you know, the next crash, the, the, the one-after next crash of all of these funds? So the perverse dynamic is that what we have taken away from our society is the propensity for real risk taking, even as we substitute speculation for risk taking. Uh, Explain the difference. Yeah. So risk taking would be me deciding that I'm going to leave my family, go to the Western frontier and try to to, uh, eke an existence out of uh, uh, undeveloped land. Right. That's a huge risk. Are there bears? Are there Native American tribes, et cetera, that represent risk to me, my family, et cetera? And by the way, nobody is there to bail me out if that problem occurs. On the flip side of that equation, if somebody did something like that, there was a sense of community that was there to help them. Barn raising to help somebody new to the community, recognizing that the in, the investments that we each made as a community, whether that was through a religious organization or through an, a society in the de Tocqueville framework, you know those sorts of investments actually create real value. And the 19th century was all about rule changes that were designed to facilitate risk-taking. Things like um, personal bankruptcy, right? So you don't go to debtor's prison if you take a risk and it fails, right? Things like limited liability corporations, encouraging investors to put equity into firms, recognizing that the most that they could lose is that equity. They don't become permanently liable for all the debts so that everybody becomes effectively a risk taker in the economy. We've been unwinding that for the last 50 years. And that's incredibly frustrating to me, right? Whether it's we've, we've introduced things like speculation around retirement, but as hopefully is clear, your individual choices by and large aren't actually what's driving that performance. We're all part of a system that has feedback loops embedded in it. And, you know, the scariest statistic, by the way, that came out of the, the COVID experience in March of 2020 was a very... Uh, quiet announcement uh, made with some pride from Vanguard that less than 1% of their investors tried to sell, right? (laughs) Now, my reaction to that is, oh my God, what if it had been two, right? And there's actually a piece that just came out in the Financial Times today that highlights the impact of passive investing in bond funds and how it robs the market of liquidity in crisis events, right? So the academic details and, and, and information is exploding that basically says what we're doing is the wrong approach. But, but, but that need, less than 1%, yeah. doesn't that mean that they're just t- totally detached from reality? It means that they have been taught to buy the dip, to stay the course, yeah, right. that markets return 8%, give or take, plus or minus 1%, one or 2% if you hold it over a long enough time period, right? Jeremy Siegel, who was a professor of mine, stocks for the long run. Well, I'm sorry, but that's, I think the polite term is a bunch of crap. Um, <laughs> stocks react to transaction behavior. Right. That's what's really going on. Uh, we mentioned it in, in passing previously. Um, let's 
try and maybe close on this and then maybe ask you some advice. Digital currencies, state-mandated digital currencies, a lot of people see this as perhaps the ultimate assault on liberty. How worried are you and how inevitable is the idea that everything will be controlled by the state and you can be canceled by the flick of a switch for political purposes? I'm terrified of that outcome. And it's part of the reason why I actually speak up on this. It is inevitable that we will move to state digital currencies. We have a limited window of opportunity to influence the development of those. It is you know, almost universal that bureaucrats and regulators see the ability to violate privacy through something like a digital currency and say, wow, isn't that great? I can stop all sorts of bad behavior that I don't want. I occupy a slightly different node, right? I mean, to steal from Bitcoin, I actually think you're sending a signal, right? The whole point of me engaged in bad activity is to send a signal that the system itself is not appropriately handling things. So if I want to make a bet with my next door neighbor for 20 bucks that, you know, the, um, I don't even know who's, the Eagles are going to lose, right? Whatever. That's not the government's business. Right? And we actually have rules around cash that if it's less than $10,000, if it's a moderate amount of money, and I know that can seem like a lot of money to people, but if it's a moderate amount of money, it's really not the government's business. I don't have to spend any time reporting that. There's no reason you can't maintain that under a CBDC, a central bank digital currency. We could choose to emphasize those features. We could choose to say, you know what, as long as you don't spend $10,000 in a single unit, we don't track it. Right, We're not going to pay attention to that because we recognize how important it is for people to have that independent voice. So, so like the rule for how much cash you can take out of the country or bring into the country, there's, there's a ceiling under that we don't care. Absolutely correct. And by the way, that ceiling exists because it used to cost so much to enforce it. The risk is, is that digital currencies and systems of social credit take much of that cost away. Right. But that's only the overt cost of monitoring and prosecution. Far more important is the cost to society. If I start monitoring all my activity and saying, well, gosh, is Big Brother going, you know, look over my shoulder, is Big Brother going to approve? I don't want that. That's a terrible outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to thank you right now. This discussion has been far too short because uh, you've really educated me. So thank you to the lads at Trigonometry. Please uh, go to YouTube. Please subscribe to their podcast as well. It's Trigonometry with two Gs for an obvious reason. Last question is, and I, I don't want, want you to give financial advice here, but if, if people, if, if a, a light has gone off, if a bulb has gone off after listening to you for the last hour and people aren't economists, financial advisors, where would you recommend they begin to do their own homework? What, what should they start looking at or reading or following in order to understand the enormity of this topic and, and the potential dangers? Well, it, this is a really challenging one. Um, one, you can Google my name and there's any number of speeches that I've given out there highlighting these issues. I have framed this for our regulators. I've highlighted these dynamics. And unfortunately, um, universally, they come back and they say, you're probably right, but there's nothing that we can do about it because the regulatory apparatus is captured by the vanguards and black rocks, right? Now, I want to emphasize, I don't think that there is, you know, somebody twirling their mustache at vanguard saying, ah, ha, ha, we can't wait to take down the Western system. 
I genuinely believe that they think they're doing the right thing, as, by the way, the vast majority of Bitcoiners genuinely believe that they are investing in freedom, right? But it's a mistake. And it's really important for people to understand that our, to understand that our financial system is way too levered to the insights of two 25-year-old PhDs from the 1950s. The design of the system was the, the theories that we're building the system on and that are now built into regulations. Look at your 401k. Look at the choices that are available to you. They are universally passive and what are called target date funds. That's becoming increasingly the case. The only thing that you can actually do is, one, be aware, and two, to the extent that you have any impact whatsoever, start to challenge this thought process because we have to change it or we're going to experience real chaos. Who are those PhDs? Uh, well, <laughs> the, the most these are difficult to read, but the most important papers that have been put out are by Xavier Gabay at Harvard and Ralph Koyajan, who actually I'm going to talk to in just about an hour at the University of Chicago. They have a paper called The Origin of Financial Fluctuations that highlights this dynamic of transactions ultimately determining the prices. Um, there's several follow-on papers associated with that. Marco Salmon, also at Harvard, is writing fascinating stuff. Jonathan Parker at MIT. All of this is exploding, and it's really a function of academics suddenly developing the mathematical techniques to figure out how are we impacting markets? I just want to emphasize for people, and this is the best place to close. As a species, regardless of what your religious affiliations are, and, and I'll let that go for a second, but with a species for around 150,000 years, we've got roughly 10,000 years of recorded history. We've got give or take 100 years of financial market history. The idea that we know how this stuff works <laughs> is absurd, right? We don't know what's going yeah. to happen next. Yeah, it is. It, so I don't, I don't think hubris yep. uh, hubris is an adequate enough word. Uh, all right. You've given yep. us so much work to do. Uh, I'm very, very grateful to you. Listen to this man. Listen to his lectures. Follow him. It's The company is simplify.us, but just educate yourself first. MichaelWGreen.substack.com. That's MichaelWGreen.substack.com. And the Twitter profile is ProfPlum99. I have a little bit of humor at the end. Professor Plum 99, Prof Plum 99. Thank you, Michael. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First. If you enjoyed the show, if you are America First, check out all of our America First gear at sebgorkastore.com, including our latest FBI T-shirt, the hottest selling item. It stands for Fascist Bureau of, of Intimidation. So much more. The Challenge Coin, the Elon Musk T-shirt, hashtag Twitter files. Are you paying attention? You should be. Everything made in America. Sebgorkastore.com. That's S-E-B. G-O-R-K-A, SebGorkaStore.com. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep your head on a swivel, watch your six, hold the line, never give up, never give in, and stay frosty. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.